what went wrong for the Jets in 2023? Obviously, Aaron Rodgers got hurt, but there are other reasons the Jets had a bad season, and I'll tell you what they are today on Locked On Jets. You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome. This is the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's Monday, January 1st, 2024. Happy New Year. Here's to a better 2024 than 2023. I'm your host, John B. from gangreennation.com. Thanking you so much for making the show your first listen or first watch every day. Subscribe to the show for free on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts so you'll get new episodes as soon as, you, as soon as they're posted. If you enjoy the show and are listening on a podcast source, give it a five-star review. And if you're watching on YouTube and enjoy the show, give this episode a big thumbs up. It helps us out. It helps other Jets fans find the podcast. This episode of Locked on Jets is brought to you by PrizePix, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNFL and use code all lowercase LockedOnNFL for a first deposit match of up to $100 using PrizePix. So then we're going to talk about what went wrong for the Jets in 2023. Obviously a difficult season, obviously a season where many had high expectations. And no matter what your expectations were, I think the Jets fell short of them this year. Uh, and of course, there's a lot to discuss. Last offseason was a wa pretty wild offseason for the New York Jets. I think a lot of it stems from the offseason the Jets had. But I think we have to begin by talking about the obvious answer. And it's a, it's true no matter what, no matter who you are. If you lose your quarterback, your starting quarterback, four plays into the season, your team's going to suffer. It's the most important position on the field. It makes more of a difference than any, than any other spot on the field. And if you essentially go a full season with backup quarterbacks, it's not so easy. You know, backup quarterbacks tend to be able to get you through, the good ones at least, tend to be able to get you through like a short stretch. There are not many teams equipped to play a full season with a backup quarterback. And the teams that are tend to be, they tend to like not know what they have. You know, I think back to the Rams in 1999, uh, Trent Green, their starting quarterback, got hurt in the preseason. They had Kurt Warner as their backup. Now, do you, do you think the Rams knew Kurt Warner was going to be great? Uh, the Patriots in 2001, two years later, they had Drew Bledsoe in, entrenched as their franchise quarterback. He had just signed a lucrative contract, a contract worth over $100 billion, and that's in 2001 money. Um, he goes down, Tom Brady comes in. Do you think the Patriots knew what they had in Tom Brady? I mean, I don't. I think if they knew what they had in Tom Brady, he probably would have gone before the sixth round. And there are other examples, but you tend to be very lucky if you can survive a full season without a backup quarterback. If you don't plan well and you have a bad backup quarterback, it may cost you if, you, if your guy misses like three weeks. And maybe those three weeks cost you the playoffs if you don't play well. But you know, there are not many teams equipped to play a full season with a backup quarterback. And I think there's no question about it. If Aaron Rodgers was playing the season, look, the Jets would have gotten higher caliber quarterback play. I mean, I don't need to tell you that if you watched uh, Tim Boyle or Trevor Simeon. But even Zach Wilson, I think we all know that Aaron Rodgers probably had a Zach Wilson at this point. Zach Wilson's a better quarterback than he was a year ago. He's still not a very good quarterback in the NFL. Zach is improved at his pre-snap reads. So why did he play so well against the Houston Texans and not play so well against other teams? Well, a lot of it has to do with Zach's supporting cast. But part of it, Zach's really Zach's become more efficient with his pre-snap reads. And the Texans are not really a team that disguises a lot on defense. So Zach can usually decide against Houston. Zach could pretty much see what they were doing before the snap and you know kind of go through his process and kind of knew what he was doing by the time he got the snap. 
against other teams, they disguise it. So you have to make reads post-snap. And Zach struggles there a little bit. Rodgers is obviously a much better quarterback when it comes to the post-snap stuff. And, you know, he's also more adept at changing things at the line of scrimmage. Zach has become better at, at the pre-snap stuff. Rodgers is like a PhD at the pre-snap stuff. And I, I go back to week four when the Jets played the Kansas City Chiefs. And I remember Chris Collinsworth on NBC. And, you know, Collinsworth says a lot of things that maybe don't add up. But he said one thing that may actually made a lot of sense to me. And he said, essentially, the Jets call two plays in the huddle for Zach Wilson. And when he gets to the line of scrimmage, he gets to decide which of the two plays to run. And he said that it's essentially 10 plays when Rodgers is under center because Rodgers can adjust like one route. You know, Rodgers might see like one thing in coverage. He may tell one receiver to run a route differently. And, you, you know, you count that around five receivers. So there might be like one subtle thing he can change in protection. Rodgers not, does not necessarily need to change the whole play. He's such an expert at maneuvering pre-snap that he can he can change something very subtle and that could be all the difference in the world that could be the difference between a successful play and a failed play where zach wilson essentially you know he doesn't see things in that degree of nuance he may not be able to change one thing one very subtle thing he may not be able to change one receiver's route he essentially needs to change the full play so these are little things that, that make a difference i do think the line probably would have been a little bit better. You know, the line would not have been better with Rodgers, but Rodgers would have understood how to navigate the pocket a little bit better. He would have been able to mitigate some things. And post-snap, he's better than Zach Wilson. You know, he knows how to read the defense. He's an expert at that. Zach Wilson's not really an expert at that. And, you know, Trevor, Trevor Simeon and Tim Boyle, it's, you know, especially Tim Boyle, you're getting nothing, nothing in those areas. So the Jets would have been better with Rodgers in there. I think the question, though, is how much better they would have been. And this goes back to, one of the failures of the Jets in this offseason. And there were a lot of failures. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I thought 2023 was the worst offseason I've ever said the Jets had. And I thought that at the time. And part of the issue, and you could hear it when Woody Johnson spoke to the media last week. He talked about how a quarterback changes everything. And to an extent, that's true. But you also have to consider that you know, quarterbacks can't do it all. And Rodgers, 39 years old this year, he turned just turned 40 a few weeks ago. And you really, you know, it doesn't matter who your quarterback is. Your mindset as a franchise should be, you know, like this guy's got to help us out, but we got to help him out. And that's especially true of Rodgers at this point in his career because he's winding down. You know, there aren't many quarterbacks who play effectively into their 40s. You know, Tom Brady's an anomaly. And I don't know that Rodgers is necessarily going to have the Brady career trajectory. Rodgers could probably still play effectively. I still think the arm's pretty good. He's as smart as ever. But there are areas where he's not quite as good. I mean, he doesn't really move as well. And that's going to be true going forward, coming off an Achilles injury. And you know, if you look at his success rate last year, it's a great stat. Success rate's a great stat. It essentially tells you whether a play is successful or not. His success rate went down quite a bit on plays outside the pocket in 2022. And 2022 was the worst season of his career. He did not have a 300-yard game as a passer. He his, his numbers were down across the board. And yeah, like there were some excuses. I mean, look, Alan Lazard was his number one receiver. Obviously, your numbers are not going to be as good when Alan Lazard is your number one receiver as they were when Devontae Adams is your number one receiver. Rodgers also dealt with a hand, hand injury. And yes, you're a quarterback, an injury to your throwing hand. Probably the spot that probably the spot an injury would affect you the most is your throwing hand. But even late in the season, you saw that he was, you know, he wasn't making the caliber of decisions he used to make. Maybe the arm, even though maybe it was 90, 95% as good as it used to be, there were some throws he made that, you know, just weren't quite there. You know, there's some deterioration. And that means not that Rodgers can be ineffective. That's not that it's not that Rodgers isn't capable of being effective, but 
there's a little bit of slippage, the rest of the team needs to pick him up. And this is where Woody Johnson constantly fails. It's one, one area where Woody Johnson does not conceive the, conceive the game correctly. Your job as a franchise is to build around your quarterback. Your job, the job of your franchise is not to be bailed out by your quarterback for every mistake you make, for every failure you have. You, your quarterback, I view, a great quarterback is kind of like a, a on the field in case of emergency, in case of emergency break class. Yes, if the pressure, if the offensive line crumbles. Yes, if a receiver doesn't get open, you want to make your, you want your quarterback to make a great play. You don't want the, that to be the standard operating procedure of your offense. However, you want you don't you want to put your quarterback in that situation as infrequently as possible. It's going to happen in the NFL. There's nothing. There's no way to avoid that happening eventually. But it can't happen consistently. And if your idea is that we have a terrible offense, we're just going to throw this quarterback in and he's going to make everything better. Well, if you have a great quarterback, sometimes it works out. But it's not really a great way to run your team. And I look at this Jets team in 2023, and I really wonder whether they were built to win. Do, would they have more than six wins right now? I, I think the answer is pretty safely yes. I think they'd be better than six and ten. Would they still be in the playoff race? I think it's possible they'd be alive heading into this weekend. Would they be a team that makes the playoffs? You know, I'm not sure about that. Would this be a team that justified the Super Bowl hype preseason? I have serious doubts about that because the Jets did not build a team around a 39-year-old quarterback who probably needs more help now than, than he has at any point in his career. And one of the areas where they failed the most is on the offensive line. Now, of course, to be fair, the Jets have suffered a lot of injuries on the offensive line, but I don't think they should get a pass. And I'll explain to you why I feel that way as we continue on this Monday edition of the Locked On Jets podcast. This episode of Locked On Jets is brought to you by PrizePix. PrizePix is the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. It's the easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. And basketball season's here now, as you know, and you can pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League. This is a league created specifically for combo projections that include two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James and Travis Kelsey, you can have a 10.5 combo of three-pointers made and receptions. And you should also know that PrizePix offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play, even if one of your players gets injured. For football and basketball games, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second, that player is rebooted. And PrizePix is the only daily fantasy sports platform with this injury insurance policy. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNFL and use code LockedOnNFL for a first deposit match of up to $100. Again, go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNFL and use code LockedOnNFL for a first deposit match of up to $100 using PrizePix. Thank you so much for making Locked On Jets your first listen or first watch every day. And a big shout out to you every day. This is a daily podcast covering the New York Jets. We'll take you through the year 2024. We'll have new episodes each day through the week, Monday through Friday, continuing through the offseason. And then bonus episodes as big news dictates. Today we're talking about 2023, though. We're looking back on the year that's passed. And we're going to discuss what went wrong for the New York Jets. And, of course, Aaron Rodgers going down week one, missing the rest of the season. Doesn't happen. You know, any team's going to be hurt by their quarterback getting injured, but the Jets should still should be better. I mean, I'm sorry. They should not be out of the playoff race with three weeks left in the season. You know, they should not be playing out the string in the final three games. You know, this was a team they talked about. We're a Super Bowl team. Well, that doesn't mean that you're see that doesn't mean like you have a, you have a past no matter what happens, no matter what goes wrong. And the Jets failed in a lot of areas. And the number one area, and this has been an ongoing thing with Joe Douglas, it's the offensive line. 
And, you know, I think sometimes people look at this and they only look at the past offseason. You know, they say, oh, look at what the Jets did. These were these were terrible decisions in 2023. And that's true. And we're going to get to them. But this is an ongoing failure for Joe Douglas. I'll say this for Joe Douglas. Unlike his predecessor, he at least understands the offensive line is important. He's at least tried to put resources into the offensive line. The problem is that he's not very good at it. Almost every evaluation he's made on the offensive line has been a failure. I mean, Connor McGovern was a good signing back in 2020. Maybe Joe Tipman works out. Outside of that, every single move he's made on the offensive line has been bad. Um, you know, you can think think this through. I understand that Mackay Becton's been injured. You can't predict that. But I think we're at a point where we can pretty clearly see that he was not the right pick over Tristan Wirfs. And I said, look, you can go back to 2020. I said, look, this is when they drafted Mackay Becton. That was the home run swing. You know, they were they were they were swinging for the fences. It was a higher ceiling pick. It was a lower floor pick. Well, we've seen the lower floor. And I kind of doubt that looking back, it's kind of tough to say that it was a higher ceiling pick because Tristan Wirfs has been an all pro. So how can you be high, how can you have a higher ceiling than all pro? All pro means you're one of the best players at your position in the league. So even that looks like a failure. And that's one of the issues with Douglas is that we know he values traits over anything else. And that's not necessarily a bad way to go about building your team, but you have to be good at finding traits. You have to be good at finding the players your coaches can develop. And Douglas is not, especially on the offensive line. That's a failure. Elijah Farrah Tucker, you know, tough when he gets injured that much, but that's the risk you take when you trade up. I think if you had the option, would you trade up again? No, you would take Christian. You just stay where you were, take Christian Derrissaw and have your extra day three picks. And that leads us into this season. Lakin Tomlinson, you know, the, the, before we get to the season, Lakin Tomlinson, just a total swing and a miss. A guy who I think you have to look back on now and say, you know what? Probably Trent, uh, probably a lot of success in San Francisco is playing next to Trent Williams. Sometimes playing next to a great tackle helps you take off. This year, though, the plan was awful. And I think back to the year 2014. That was the famous Idzik year where they did not sign any, any corners. It was a great, great cornerback class. Lots of guys available. Jets had, I think, the second, high, second most cap space in the NFL entering that free agency period. The Jets got Dimitri Patterson out of the corner group. And heading into that season, the Jets' corners were Dimitri Patterson, D. Milner, and Dexter McDougal. And two of them suffered serious injuries. Dexter, Dexter McDougal suffered a season-ending injury in training camp. D. Milner was banged up the whole season, barely played. Dimitri Patterson completely disappeared after their first preseason. And that's not an exaggeration. The Jets had no idea where he was. They eventually cut him at the end of training camp. And that year, people said, and this is easy to forget, people said, well, you know, John Idzik brought these guys in. His best three corners went down. And I remember thinking at that time, yeah, but this was a horrible plan A. Like if Milner and Patterson and McDougal were around, the Jets' corners would still stink. So why should I give him a pass? Because his plan A was horrible. His plan A was never going to work. And that's what I think about with Joe Douglas's offensive line this year. Can you give him a pass because guys have gotten hurt? Maybe a little, but I mean, just look at the tackle position. You had Becton who has barely played the last barely played the last two years. That's and that's not even the worst decision they made counting on Becton. Dwayne Brown. Go back last year. I did a podcast shortly after the season about potential Jets cap casualties, potential players who could be salary cap cuts. I said that there are that there's a case to be made for keeping or cutting every player except two. There were two guys who were obvious cuts. One was Braxton Berrios, the other was Dwayne Brown. Expecting Dwayne Brown to still be good at 38. That was a horrible bet. 
but especially coming off a serious injury, especially coming off an injury that kept him out of most of training camp, where he got no preparation for the season. I, how did they think this was going to work? How did they sit out adding any quality offensive lineman? Because the backups, I mean, you know who the backups were. Billy Turner, that was a bad sign. Max Mitchell, well, we've seen how he's developed this year. Carter Warren, who I think, unlike Mitchell, at least has a shot at being a decent player, but he's not there right now. I mean, Carter Warren, the only game he's played decently was the game against Washington. Washington has the worst edge rushers in the league. So, uh, you know, there's not really, there's no way the Jets were going to be good to tackle this season. And when I say that, you know, even with Rodgers, I'm not sure how good this team would have been. Look at the tackles. I mean, look at what the Jets were throwing out there. And this is an offensive line that, you know, as they went through the season, there were some games where they were not putting an NFL offensive line on the field. And part of that was due to injury. Part of that was, you know, they were so banged up that they had to put guys out there who were practice squad players. I understand that. And maybe things would not have gotten quite as, quite as bad if the Jets had stayed healthy up front. But this offensive line was never going to be good. And we talked about it at the beginning of the season. We talked about it through the summer. We talked about it through most of the offseason. They took risks that did not need to be taken. And I understand it's tough to build an offensive line. You know, if it was that easy, the Jets would have done it. That's one of the reasons where people say, well, all we have to do, the Chiefs fix their offensive line in an offseason. Well, the Jets have been trying to fix their offensive line for five years and haven't gotten, you know, barely gotten anywhere. It's not going to be easy to fix this thing in one offseason. Hopefully they come going to 2024 with a better plan than Mekhi Becton and Dwayne Brown, though. Because this was a plan that was always destined to fail. It's where a bad plan meets bad luck. Yes, bad luck. You can't expect to suffer that many injuries, but it was a horrible plan to begin with, and it's helped derail the season. And just as I think the Jets would have more more than six wins with Aaron Rodgers, they certainly would have more than six wins if they did a better job building their offensive line. But there's another failure we must discuss. It's also on the offensive side of the ball. Notice how I'm not talking about the defense at all. Notice how I'm not talking about the special teams. The offense has dragged the Jets down this season, and it's been clear on the offensive line, but it's also been clear in just how bad the skill positions are for this team. And we're going to get into that. We're going to get into the failures of this offseason as we continue on this Monday edition of the Lockdown Jets podcast. This episode of Lockdown Jets is brought to you by FanDuel. The NFL regular season is wrapping up, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. And right now, new customers get 150 bucks in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's 150 bucks in bonus bets, win or lose. The app is easy to use, and there are so many ways to play, like same live same-game parlays, find bets in the new, the new Explore tab, make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and make your first bet a layup. Again, it's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Must be. This is the Locked On Jets podcast on this Monday. Happy New Year to you. I'm sorry to begin the year on such a – uh, it's such a down note, but I think for things to get better in 2024, we have to understand how they went wrong in 2023. And that's what we're discussing today. We're discussing what went wrong for the New York Jets this last season. I guess there's still one game left to play, so it's technically this season. But we're hoping for a better 2024 than we had in 2023. And a lot of it has to go back to the offseason the New York Jets had. And I said this. This is all stuff I said at the time. This, these, A lot of this stuff is not a second guess. A lot of it's a first guess. I did not necessarily have a problem with trading for Aaron Rodgers, but the way the Jets did it was just so backwards, and it set them up for failure this year. It set them up to have a really bad season. Part of it was they let this thing drag out way too long. They let the thing drag out into you know almost the draft, 
you know, Rodgers announced he was he wanted to come to the Jets in March, shortly after the free agency period began. Even that was a little late because the Jets really needed to have Rodgers in place by the start of the free agency period to like help recruit players. And there were players who talked about how Rodgers not being there yet maybe gave them second second uh, thoughts about joining the Jets. I mean, there are players who said that. I mean, the only players who really joined the Jets this offseason in free agency were players who, I mean, with maybe one or two exceptions, had a pre-existing relationship with Aaron Rodgers. So the Jets handled the trade all wrong. They uh, they let the thing drag out too long. They let the pack. They bid against themselves with the Packers. There's no way they should have given up two early picks for Rodgers. I mean, Green Bay could not have brought it back. The Packers needed to make that trade a lot more than the Jets did. But the Jets did not. You know, Jets did not use their leverage effectively at all. They did not force the Packers' hand. They did not explore other options. You know, you, you, uh, the key part of negotiation frequently is your willingness to walk away from a deal if it doesn't make sense for you. And the Jets essentially let the Packers dictate the terms of the Rodgers trade. And that really slowed them down in the offseason. And one of the one of the other ways it slowed them down is at the end of the at near the end of training camp, Aaron Rodgers renegotiated his contract and he took a big pay cut and that cleared up a lot of cap space for the Jets. Well, the problem was the Jets had a lot of Jets opened up a bunch of cap space, but there were pretty much no players available to sign. And they, really the only guy who was of any significance was Dalvin Cook. So they brought him in and obviously that did not work out. And Cook is kind of a microcosm of the issues the Jets have had on offense because they just don't have enough playmakers. They have two good players on this offense, two good players at the skill positions. They have Brees Hall, who's a phenomenal young back. Garrett Wilson is a phenomenal young receiver. And I, I don't like it when people criticize these two because they're the guys doing their job. It's like is it's like Garrett Wilson gets criticized for not being Justin Jefferson. You know, Brees Hall gets criticized for not being Walter Payton because that's what the Jets would need to make the offense work with with two good players on 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 the unit. It's just not fair. These guys are doing their job. Garrett's over a thousand yards. Brees is having an excellent season despite a lack of blocking. And we talked about the offensive line, but let's talk about the skill group. You know, they brought in Alan Lazard. They gave Alan Lazard eleven million dollars a year. That was never a good move. You know, there's there's this idea. Oh, that made sense. It never made sense. Come on. Look at Alan Lazard's numbers with Green Bay. This was your number two receiver. I mean, I've heard the Jets thought he was a better version of Corey Davis. When did this guy ever outproduce Corey Davis? He's a big receiver who doesn't play big. He, is, he doesn't run good routes. He can't separate. And for a big guy, that's not the end of the world. But you have to play big. You have to have a big catch radius. You need to outfight people for balls. When's the last time Alan Lazard outfought somebody for a ball? Nicole Hardman. I mean, come on. Like, this guy couldn't produce with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. You thought he was going to produce with the Jets? That's a surprise. Let's not even get into Randall Cobb. This was a joke. The way the Jets handled this offseason, especially at the receiver position, was an absolute joke. These guys were never good. This was, these were never. I think there's a, there's a temptation to say, well, it made sense at the time. These moves did not make sense at the time. I said they did not make sense at the time. You probably knew they did not make sense at the time. Going into this season with Garrett Wilson and then – all that's behind him are Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, Nicole Hardman. How is that ever going to work? I know Corey Davis retired, but when we're when we're like begging for Corey Davis, that shows you the state of the receiver position. I don't want to make Corey Davis out to be a great receiver either. And now we're at the end of the season, and two of your three starters are undrafted rookies. And it's really based on performance. I mean, yeah, I understand you want to get Jason Brownlee and Xavier Gibson some reps, but they wouldn't be playing if, if Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb were playable. They wouldn't be playing if Nicole Hardman wasn't thrown off the team pretty early for not being very good. You know, this was handled horrifically, this position. 
And it's had major implications for the team. I mean, look at the Jets. I mean, after Garrett Wilson, your, your leading receivers are Brees Hall, who's really a check down option. You know, Brees is not, you know, Brees is explosive in space. And obviously you want to design touches for him. He should not be like at the top of your receiving list. He's not a great route runner. He doesn't have, he has bad hands. He drops a lot. You know, is a check down option. Is a guy you throw screens to in space. Yeah, he'll help you in the receiving game. He should be one of your primary options. After that's Tyler Conklin. I've been hard on Tyler Conklin. Maybe I should be less hard on him because he's not at least not as bad as these other receivers, but Tyler Conklin should not be one of your top receiving options. He's a guy who's pretty much a check down target in, you know, third and long. And when you're getting blown out against prevent defenses, I mean, half of his production or close to half of his production this year has been in those situations. A third down play where it's a check down and either get stopped short of the sticks and or blowout situations where the other teams in prevent, you know, when you're getting blown out, uh, you know, he's, most tight end, and I don't want to be too hard on Conklin because most tight ends don't really add a lot to your team. In fact, I wonder, I, I'm starting to wonder like whether teams really should carry tight ends because there may be like, I don't know what, five or six who really drive performance in this league. Five, there may be like five or six tight ends who are actually adding plus value for a team. So, but Tyler Conklin should not be like among your top receivers. If you, if that happens, you've got a big problem. The Jets had a big problem this year. And again, the lack of playmaking ability on this offense probably limits what Aaron Rodgers is capable of doing. I, that's just the way it is. You know, you, you can't have, you can't function on offense with this kind of offensive line and these groups of receivers. I know you can say maybe Rogers's Rogers' weapons weren't that great for much of his Green Bay career, and he still succeeded. Well, first of all, he was younger, but second of all, he at least had a pretty good offensive line for most of his career in Green Bay. So, you know, I feel like a guy like Rogers maybe can work around one or the other. He can work around not having an offensive line or not having a good receiver group. He can't do both, not at thirty-nine. And that's why I think in many ways, this season was always destined to disappoint Jets fans. And it's really the fault of the owner. It's the fault of the front office. These were things that should have been easily foreseeable. And hopefully these are things the Jets will fix as they head into this next year. But that's all for today's episode. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day is our motto. As always, if you enjoyed the show, hit the subscribe button where you're watching or listening so that you'll never miss an episode. If you enjoyed the show and you're listening on a podcast, first, give it a five-star review. And if you're watching on YouTube, give this episode a big thumbs up. Hope you have a great Monday, everybody. Again, Happy New Year. Enjoy the college football today. And we'll be back tomorrow to talk more Jets.